Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating, and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical, and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Venue 3S, Garmin's all-new hybrid smartwatch that is a perfect blend of function and style. Purpose-built with advanced health and fitness features and the ability to make calls and send texts, the Venue 3S is more than just a fitness smartwatch. It's your personal on-risk coach there to support your every goal. Head to garmin.com.au to find out more. Today, we welcome back our wonderful pediatric guest, Anna Rattan, who has previously been on the podcast before and who is also an accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist with over 12 years of experience. She specializes in pediatric and neonatal nutritional therapy and dietary education and is also the creator of Nourish Little Lives. Today's episode is a two-part series. Today is the first part of the two-part with Anna, and the session today is all about fussy eating in toddlers and children. And our next session with Anna is her answering a Q&A section from our listeners. So let's dive straight into today's fussy eating podcast with our special guest, Anna. Welcome back to the Leanne Ward Nutrition Podcast, Anna. We're stoked to have you back on today. Thanks so much for having me here again. It's so lovely to come and chat to you. I know you've been up to a lot since we've chatted last. A lot. I know a whole extra baby to add to the mix since we lost Janet. A whole extra baby. I know. And, and also into toddlerhood as well. So you've got some big changes happening. Exactly. Which is probably the number one reason we got you back on the podcast today, Anna. I feel like I'm going okay with me as eating, but every time I post something on Instagram, people are like, what are you feeding her? How do you deal with this? Or what about that? Or what about her allergies? And I'm like, I am not the best person for this. Anna is absolutely the expert in this area. So we've got you back on the potty today. Today, I thought we'd really take a deep dive into fussy eating and we're going to focus more on toddlers but let's be honest like it's really up until what three four five six seven ten fifteen years of age like I feel like young teens they can still be fussy adults can still be fussy but I feel like if we can implement some great strategies when they're toddlers we can really kind of make it just that little bit easier for ourselves as they grow up is that right Oh, you've hit the nail on the head there. Like in terms of, you know, how we approach feeding, even from the moment you start solids can make a huge difference to fussy eating tendencies later down the track and even stress levels in the family and how the family comes together at mealtimes. So there's lots of strategies that can be implemented and even through toddlerhood as well, where toddlers start testing boundaries and, you know, feeding changes. So it's really important to have some really key strategies that can help get you through that season and then get your child having a healthy lifelong relationship with food. But, you know, fussy eating is stressful. It's a really important conversation to have. And, you know, parents often get stressed around mealtimes. A lot of the parents I speak to, there's so much stress and anxiety around meals and preparing food and not knowing what to do when their child doesn't eat. So it's a really important topic to cover, I think. Absolutely. And you were actually on the potty previously, um, quite a few episodes back. If anyone's interested to send me a DM on Instagram and I can send you the link for when Anna was talking about, we did basically introduction to solids with babies, didn't we? Like when to kind of go, like what to start with baby led weaning. Um, And so really today we're going to focus on more that toddler or more that whole foods. But I guess to kick us off to kind of transition us from the last potty we did into this one, what kind of age should we be looking at at moving babies? If you didn't start 
with baby led weaning and you started more with the purees and the soft foods, what age should we be looking at moving children from that pureed kind of softer food to more solid, quote unquote, real food? Yeah, it's a really good question and an important point. One of the things that I'm really passionate about, you know, when I'm on Instagram or talking about solids is actually the perspective that you had when you start solids. Because I think sometimes parents just assume that they're going to give their baby food and they're going to eat it. Like they think that it's just this innate need to eat food. When actually it's not, eating solids is a skill that is learned and it's something that we need to teach. So it's really important to have that perspective. It's not like breastfeeding, which is kind of like a primitive motor reflex to feed when they're younger. But from six months, it's a learned skill. And part of that is also teaching children how to manage a variety of different textures and table foods and family foods. So you're right, for parents that have started with baby led weaning, they're kind of going straight to finger food, they're skipping the purees, skipping the traditional spoon feeding and allowing their kids to kind of touch and interact with food and eat as much as they need at a mealtime. So it's a very kind of responsive feeding style that's low in control. And there have been lots of studies done on baby led weaning with varying degrees of quality, of course, and there's a lot of self-reported data in those studies, but most Mothers who, you know, use the baby led winning approach do self-report less food fussiness and more intake of fruits and vegetables than, you know, mothers that have perhaps gone down the traditional feeding route. And that might be due to the textures and the early introduction of textures. When we're looking at traditional spoon feeding or purees, if you have started with purees, which you can do, there's no kind of right or wrong way to start solids. It is important to think about when you're going to progress textures because texture is really important for the development of oral skills and jaw strength and chewing and swallowing skills. And they have done studies on textures and shown that there is a critical window of time to introduce lumps and that is before nine to ten months of age. So the studies do show that, you know, if babies are kind of delayed with their introduction of lumps that they will have a higher chance of feeding problems, feeding difficulties, less intake of fruit and vegetables. And also the studies show, like there have been longitudinal studies shown that actually that progresses long-term. So even in seven-year-olds, we can still see that having that delayed introduction at 10 months of age or later has still led to feeding difficulties in, you know, older children, seven-year-olds. So texture is really, really important. I know it can be scary for a lot of families, but actually developmentally from nine months of age, you know, the majority of infants are ready to self-feed. They are ready to pick up food. They're ready to have table foods just modified so it's safe and served in a safe way. So ideally, no matter where you start, whether it's baby led weaning or a combination of feeding or purees, the idea is you all end up at the same point at nine months of age which is finger foods, self-feeding, textures, and lots of kind of interaction with a variety of different table foods and family foods. Mm, Wonderful. And say, for example, a family wasn't aware of this and they had, say, for example, a 15 or 16-month-old that was still on very soft, almost pureed-based foods, what would be your recommendation there? Would it be just to start introducing or kind of scaling up from their ASAP, like start to introduce some soft lumps, like you said, like what you would do at nine months, but kind of grade them up from there? You'd kind of want that texture being introduced as soon as possible. Is that right? 
Yeah, I guess for me, like as a as a clinician, someone that's worked in a multidisciplinary teams, hospital settings, if I had a child present that was 16 months of old, still on purees, I'd actually be wondering about some oral motor delay because potentially it's not the parent's fault. They might have tried to introduce textures, but the child actually can't manage those textures. So actually, when we look at talk a little bit further, you know, that would be one of my red flags before seeking some more assistance with feeding if you've got a child that's not able to progress to table food from 12 months of age. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, speaking about our toddlers, so, you know, anyone from what is it, one year to kind of, you know, two, three, four, <laughs> where does toddlerhood stop? I mean, is fussy eating normal with toddlers? And what would we define as fussy eating? Because I think it's such a broad word and term and are they fussy because one day they want toast and the next day they don't or are they fussy because they literally will not have any type of fruit and vegetable what is the definition of fussy eating when we think about toddlers yeah it's a good question and unfortunately there's not a unified or agreed upon definition of actually what fussy eating is it's kind of an umbrella term which means that it could mean a lot of things to lots of different people but look, in the, I guess in the studies and in the research, we do see a definition of fussy eating as a persistent and ongoing unwillingness to kind of eat both familiar and unfamiliar foods, as well as having like strong food preferences, and that then leads to poor diet quality. But that can present in a lot of different ways. So you might have, you know, a toddler or child who refuses whole food groups. They might not eat any vegetables, they might not eat any meat. You might have children that restrict their foods based on certain colours or, or textures of food, or they might have really, really strong food preferences for snack food, for example. And there are consequences of that. So it can be, you know, the varying degrees of fussiness as well. Sometimes it can just be, you know, a little bit of food restriction. Other times we can see severe food restriction when we've got, you know, significant restriction, child unable to meet their nutrition requirements, you know, micronutrient deficiencies, malnutrition. So there's a spectrum of, you know, even seriousness within that, you know, fussiness and picky eating like we call it. And also there's some kind of some specific subconditions that also fit under that umbrella term, conditions like ARFID, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, sensory-based feeding disorders, and even food neophobia. Sorry, it can describe so many things. And it depends what you're talking about to, as to whether it's normal or not. In my experience, you know, children aren't choosing to be fussy. They're not kind of waking up going, I'm not going to eat my veggies today. I'm going to make them really mad. You know, they're not kind of choosing that consciously as a choice. It's usually, in most cases, fussy eating is usually a symptom or an outcome of other issues that are going on for the child. So it's not necessarily normal. So, for example, if we look at like a classic conditioning response, if we have pain in a child or baby that's had reflux or enlarged tonsils or undiagnosed food intolerance and eating actually makes them uncomfortable, then they're going to refuse food. So, that's that classic kind of conditioning. So, it's not necessarily normal in that sense. Sometimes we have sensory processing difficulties, which make it really difficult for children to eat a variety of different foods. If children have developmental delays or low tone or even neurodivergence like ASD, they might not have the skills that they need to actually eat a variety of different foods. Sometimes there's environmental factors. We know that parenting style, like authoritarian, high control parenting styles can kind of contribute to making fussy eating tendencies a little bit worse. And sometimes it can be primary nutrition issues or other underlying things, you know, like iron deficiency anemia that are going on that are causing picky eating as well. So it's not necessarily normal because there are so many things that can actually cause or contribute to fussy eating being the outcome. 
And the evidence shows that only about 50% of children actually outgrow their picky eating. So a lot of it is because, you know, they've got these unresolved issues kind of going on. That being said, because we are speaking about toddlers, there are times in development when feeding gets better or worse and children will get pickier and less pickier. And that is very, very common in toddlerhood. And even really between one to six years of age, you're still going to see kind of children perhaps eat well one day and not so well the next, or be a little bit more picky with their food one day and less picky the next. Again, it is a normal kind of pattern of eating to see that change in toddlerhood. I think sometimes a lot of the toddler behaviours get interpreted as fussy, but when we're looking at the true definition of fussy eating, it is kind of persistent. It's ongoing. There's lots and lots of food refusals and there potentially is other kind of reasons or underlying factors that are are making the fussy eating worse. Sometimes you need to unpick a little bit what's actually going on for the child. Yeah, I kind of gave you a loaded question, didn't I? (laughs) (laughs) I gave a really long answer. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's okay. Let me me see if I can phrase it another way. Instead of what is fussy eating or is it normal, let's talk about what is normal for a toddler, like what is considered normal, even though parents might think, oh, my goodness, like why is my toddler doing this? And I'll give you a mere example because I reckon me using a real-world child example is good. So the other day, literally just the other day, Mia hasn't eaten pasta like even since, even as a kid, like when we did solids, like she would have a little bit of pasta, not very much. I mean, I'm mean, trying to give her this really yummy spaghetti bolognese. Sometimes she'll have it. Sometimes she won't. She hadn't had it for like a month. She'd just be like, no, no, no. Every time I put it on her plate and I've always make sure I've got like a safe food on there, a new food, something that she's had in the past. And she was like, no, 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 I wouldn't have it for like a month. And then one night was like, yum, mum, the pasta and wanted like three bowls of it. And I was like, oh, great. She's back on the, the pasta train. It was like spaghetti, grated up the mince. You know, it was really good loaded pasta, had some lentils in there, up a massive batch of it the next day, refused it for like the next month again. And I was like, Mia, come on, work with me. Is that normal for toddlers to one day love something and the next day not touch it for a month? And then randomly one day later, turn around and want four portions in the one day. Yes, that is 100% a toddler. (laughs) And a really, really great example and a common example, you know, where you see kind of they'll eat bananas. And so you go buy a whole heap of bananas and you offer a banana the next day and they don't want to eat a banana. Or it could be, you know, any sort of family food. That's really, really, really common. What is normal for toddlers is to see a change in their eating habits. So, for example, healthy growing toddlers are really good at knowing when they're hungry and when they're full. So, you know, you are going to see some natural variability in their appetite. Their growth actually slows down. So, you know, infant growth is quite rapid and fast, whereas toddlers, you know, that growth starts to slow down. And so you might see an appetite drop slightly as their, I guess, intake needs to match, you know, their needs for growth. So that can be really common and a little bit scary for parents when that happens. That's really common. You know, toddlers are erratic. It's really normal for their appetite to vary day to day and meal to meal. So you might, for example, see them eat really well at breakfast and then at lunchtime they're not so hungry or you might see them eat really well one day where you're kind of like, oh, my gosh, this child has not stopped eating. And then the next day they don't want to eat very much at all. And then it kind of evens out over the week though. So that is very, very normal toddler behaviour. You know, you might still see them kind of doing experimenting with food. You know, they might start food throwing. They didn't food throw before. They might start dropping food off their high chair. They might still be squishing their food or, you know, squashing and interacting with their food. 
And again, that's really kind of normal toddler development as well. You know, they're experimenting with gravity. They're learning about food still. So that's really common too. It doesn't necessarily mean they don't like a food because they've chucked it off their tray. They're probably just experimenting with gravity. So sometimes we kind of interpret their behaviors, oh, they don't like it, and then we'll stop serving it. But actually, it's got nothing to do with that at all. They're just interacting and exploring the food that you're serving them. And choosing and refusing food is also really common in toddlers in a way they like to show their independence. So, you know, toddlers are really starting to drive and seek autonomy. So they might start saying no to food. You know, they've got new skills, like they're talking, they're walking. You know, they might sit for less. They don't want to sit in the high chair. You know, they might only sit for a couple of minutes and they want to move their body because they've got all these new skills that they're trying to, you know, coordinate and practice as well. So it changes the way that they eat. So that can be really normal as well to see in toddlers. And the other thing too is, you know, it's really common for toddlers to still be rejecting foods, like a new food. They're probably not going to eat it if they haven't eaten it before. And it might take, you know, 10, 20 times of re-exposing that food to them before they're actually willing to probably eat it. So we kind of have to remember too that our job doesn't stop with, you know, teaching our children to eat at 12 months. You know, there's so much focus on that first six months of feeding your child that we actually forget, like, we still have to teach eating, you know, for the next three years, realistically, if not longer. Because, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd say, like, Mia was, I would call her a little bit fussy now, but I know that that's completely normal from a toddler perspective. But literally, until 12 months, she would eat anything I put in front of her. Like she would have tofu, she would have beans and legumes, she would have like she would have anything, any fruit, any vegetable. Then it got to toddlerhood. She wouldn't sit in the high chair. We had to buy one of those like learning towers that sit up against the kitchen bench so she can stand. She learned to talk. She would point. She would be like, no mama, milk, no mama, yogurt, like yogurt, yogurt. But no yogurt, me. You've had enough today. We're going to have our spaghetti bolognese. She was like a little dictator in the kitchen. And I was like, what? And it's all about that independence, isn't it? And it's just that constant exposure again. Like I know I'm like, I know she's had days where she'll eat cucumber. And so I put it on her tray all the time. I know she loves beans and legumes. Like she'll eat a whole tin of black beans. Like it's ridiculous. And then someday she'll be like, no, no beans. And just won't, won't have any beans. Yeah. But it's so normal when it comes to toddlers, isn't it? It is. It's so, it's so, so normal. And you're kind of right there in terms of the saying no. It's that real testing boundaries. And toddlers, that's what they're driven to do. They're driven to test our boundaries because they're learning about kind of what's acceptable in our family. And we have to remember that. And a lot of the times food is easy to say no to. It's the easy thing that toddlers can actually control. And oftentimes it's not even about the food. It might just be about saying no. So sometimes, you know, we just have to say, you know, actually, this is what's being served. You know, this is where we eat. So it's okay for us to kind of have boundaries and reinforce those boundaries as well. Yeah. And that's really important, isn't it? The boundaries. Any other, I guess, besides reinforcing those boundaries, tips or strategies that you have for parents, if they have noticed that their toddlers are, or their children are becoming a little bit more fussy over time, is there any sort of tips or strategies that we can do to try and maybe not eliminate it altogether, but to reduce that and just to have a little bit more kind of peace at mealtimes? Because I know a lot of parents, myself included, sometimes get very stressed out at mealtimes because they're like, I made this really healthy meal. Why won't you just eat it? Or you ate it yesterday. Why don't you want it today? Like after the, you know, a long, hard work day, it can be a really stressful time for parents, particularly dinner meal, because I know a lot of parents take that extra time to cook something that's really nourishing and then just have your toddler like fling it off the tray onto the floor. You're like, why? What did I do wrong? Yeah, I know. It's just want to cry sometimes. It yeah. is so frustrating. <laughs> it is a common frustration, you know, with a lot of families. And if we can kind of understand why they're doing it, 
then it helps us to not take it personally either. As hard as it is, you know, when we put time into cooking something and then they refuse it and it's frustrating. It's really got nothing to do with our cooking and it's not personal. It's just they're kind of, you know, they might not be hungry or, you know, they're tired. So there are lots of strategies that we can do to kind of manage that a little bit. One of the things we have to do is also manage our own expectations around toddler eating because if we kind of know, well, you know, they they are going to be unpredictable. They are going to eat more one day and less the next. Then it just helps us a little bit to kind of just accept and step back. Go, look, we're, you know, we're serving food and if they eat it, that's their choice. But that's one of my most important points would be in terms of how to overcome fussy eating or manage fussy eating at home is to use something that we call the division of responsibility. And that was something that was developed by dietitian Ellen Satter. And it's a framework to define the role of parents and the child at mealtimes. So what it means is it defines what parents are responsible at mealtimes and what the child is responsible at mealtimes. And if we use this framework, it really helps to I guess, reduce pressure, stress, because you know you've done your job and you've let your child do their job at the mealtime. So for parents, you know, our job is to decide what food is served. You know, toddlers don't know what their bodies need. They're very good at wanting, you know, the same things. They might want, you know, yogurt 20 times in one day. You know, they might have a preferred food, but we have, you know, we can't obviously do that. It's our job to decide what's served. It's our job as parents to decide when food is served as well. You know, we get to decide when we're eating and we also decide where food is served, which means, you know, children, if we want them to come to the table or we want them to sit at the high chair, we can say, you know, this is where we eat. We need to sit down to eat. And the child is responsible for actually what they eat off their plate and how much they eat. So we have to get comfortable if they only eat a couple of mouthfuls or they only eat one thing off their plate and then we wait until the next meal time. So it really helps to define those roles and expectations at mealtimes to support the erraticness <laughs> of our toddlers especially. <laughs> and then the other thing too is to have a really good routine to support that because, you know, toddlers still have tiny tummies and they're using a lot of energy during the day. But also then, you know, they probably can't last a whole, you know, four or five hours. You know, they're going to have a meltdown <laughs> before then. And if you kind of, if you have a hangry toddler, you know, it's almost too late. You've got to kind of get them before they get to that point. So it's really useful to have a predictable routine. So, you know, breakfast, you know, morning tea, lunch, afternoon tea, dinner with a lot of predictability and no snacks or grazing in between. Like you have, you're waiting till the next meal time is also really, really important, especially for toddlers. And the reason is if we kind of allow toddlers to decide when they eat, allow them to have a grazing pattern where they're kind of snacking, having a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here. So every couple of hours or every hour they're eating something. And it becomes really difficult for them to kind of recognize hunger and fullness. The lines get really blurred and then the next mealtime they're not hungry. So routine, understanding your roles and responsibilities and having boundaries around when food is served is going to be really important for toddlers to kind of get you through that stage. I'm sure you guys kind of sit down as a family and eat food together. So like social modelling is really important to help children learn how to eat. And often it's one of the most important things. You know, a lot of parents, or even you might notice as well, when you like sometimes they just eat so well at childcare and then they come home and you're like, oh, they don't eat well at home, but they eat well at childcare. And it's usually because of social modelling. You know, they're eating around lots of other children that are also eating the same food. So really powerful way to help children eat is to actually sit down and eat the same food with them. 
Yeah, and that's excellent. And I've definitely noticed that at childcare for a few months, Mia was like the only kid that didn't eat anything. It was quite funny. But then after that, now she's gotten a little bit better. And most of, you know, the app that they use to tell you how much they ate, like a lot of days, it's like ate a little, ate a lot, which is really good because for months it was just like ate nothing, ate nothing, ate nothing. And I think that was just her adjusting to the environment and different foods that are served there. Like they, yeah, they just, they do a lot of sandwiches and, you know, I don't really do sandwiches with Mia at home. Like we do toast for breakfast with a bit of avocado or, you know, hemp seeds, that sort of thing, but we're not like my husband and I just aren't big sandwich people for whatever reason. There's nothing wrong with a sandwich. We just don't eat a lot of them. So I never really give them to her, right? And that's like they serve a lot of sandwiches at daycare. And I think she was just kind of like, what is what is this sandwich? <laughs> but I think that social modeling absolutely helps. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. And even, you know, if we think about still that toddlers are learning about food. You know, we have to give them opportunities to interact with food away from mealtimes because often mealtime, although we, you know, you might not say a, a word to your child, but a mealtime can still feel like pressure to children because they know that the expectation is that they've got to eat regardless of what you say or not. So sometimes it can be a less threatening way to introduce new foods to your child if, you know, you're going shopping and you're just talking about fruits and vegetables that you see in the supermarket or is there an activity that you can give them in the kitchen, you know, even if it's just washing some fruits or helping to put them away. If you've got a little veggie garden out the back and you can grow a few little herbs even, they're really kind of fun ways to get toddlers interacting with food away from the mealtime. And that just helps to kind of build these memories of interacting with food. So when they're presented on the plate, they're less new because you've already played with it. You've already touched it. You know what it feels like. You know what it smells like. And that's really, really important for helping children to learn to accept a variety of different foods. Yeah, that's great. We're interrupting this podcast to bring you a quick update from today's episode sponsor, Garmin. The Venue 3S is Garmin's latest hybrid smartwatch that is a perfect blend of function and style. Purpose-built with advanced health and fitness features and the ability to make calls and send texts, the Venue 3S is more than just a fitness smartwatch. It's your personal on-risk coach there to support your every goal. It gives you detailed health and wellness insights such as body battery energy monitoring, sleep coaching, a morning report, nap detection, stress tracking, a pulse ox sensor, women's health and pregnancy tracking, meditation, mindful breathing, and even a jet lag advisor. With 30 plus sports apps, animated workouts, and a Garmin coach, you can train purposely and effectively. The Venue 3S is built for how you move. It can track pushes and offers built-in workouts designed for wheelchair users. With up to 10 days of battery life in smartwatch mode, the Venue 3S fitness smartwatch is able to give you a more complete picture of your health. Head over to garmin.com.au to find out more. Now let's get back to our podcast episode. And I'm just going to bring you back when we talked about the division of responsibility, because that was one of the key strategies that really got me through and helped me kind of keep my calm during mealtimes. And I remember like I was sort of doing a little bit of my own research online and it was like, you know, offer children, you know, a meal plate, which has something familiar, something new perhaps, and then something they've had in the past that maybe, you know, have stopped eating or something like a safe food, a new food, that sort of thing. And then if there's times that the toddler basically just refuses everything altogether, would you say the recommendation would be to put them to bed hungry? like if they've just refused dinner altogether and they say I'm not hungry or no 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 I want something else like I just want biscuits for example which a lot of toddlers just want biscuits at mealtimes right is the responsibility on us to say okay no like that's dinner if you don't want any we're done and you can go to bed because I know a toddler won't start from one meal and then is the hope that they'd wake up hungry enough for breakfast the next day or should we be offering them a little something more say I know a lot of families and parents will do some fruit and yogurt after dinner if the dinner 
is refused? Or are we just reinforcing bad habits if we're constantly offering fruit and yogurt when they refuse the main meal? Because I know that's the biggest question so many parents struggle with is do we send them to bed hungry or do we offer another safe food after the plate of food has been refused? Yeah, that's a really good question. I guess we have to first look at toddler feeding and we know that they can be erratic so they can eat more one meal and less the next. We also know that toddlers have a tendency to kind of top end their nutrients so they might eat really well at breakfast, okay at morning tea, good at lunch, fine afternoon tea and by dinner they might have eaten all their calories for the day. (laughs) They're actually not hungry at dinner time or perhaps they're tired. There can be lots of reasons why a toddler doesn't eat at dinner time. I guess if we're making the assumption that they're still hungry, then it becomes difficult to then follow through with any of the other strategies because you're now worried about how much they've eaten. So it really depends on what's kind of happened over the day, I think sometimes as well. As a standard, if you've used a division of responsibility, the idea is that you're considerate to your toddler's needs, but not catering. So what that means is you're considerate to the fact, like if you've made, I don't know, a lasagna or a burrito and you've got everything kind of mixed together and you're not sure whether they're going to eat it all together, you can be considerate by deconstructing that meal, putting some, you know, plain tortilla out for them or putting some grated cheese on their plate so that there's something on the plate that you're sure they're going to eat with the family meal. And if they've only had a few bites, then we kind of assume that they're not hungry because you've made sure that there is something on the plate that you know that they are able to eat. So I guess sometimes we just have to trust that if they've only eaten a few mouthfuls at dinner time, that's okay. I think for a lot of points, dinner time becomes a sticking point for families because they do worry, are they going to wake up at night time? What if they're going to bed hungry? And it's not about punishing your child. It's just if they're only eating a couple of mouthfuls and they're not hungry, then we just have to assume then they're full, then they're, they're okay. So you don't necessarily have to top up afterwards. Sometimes it can be reinforcing if you do that because they might then start holding out for the food that they know they're going to get after. If you are going to serve yogurt and fruit anyway and the rest of the family is eating yogurt and fruit anyway, then by all means serve it after the meal. You shouldn't not not give it to your child because of how much they haven't eaten. Yes, if the whole family is eating it, absolutely serve it and you're planning on serving it, please serve it. This is more so about you then kind of going to make something else because you're worried about them not eating would be where would be where I would be kind of like, well, you know, you, you probably maybe just need to trust their appetite a little bit and assume that they're going to be okay. Yeah, definitely. And I'll, I'll hit one more question to you from that. Taking that example of, say, for example, you made burritos for the family and you deconstructed a little bit. Maybe you put, you know, a small burrito on your toddler's plate with a little bit of cheese on the plate and a little bit of grated carrot kind of separately because they're the safe foods, right? Say they eat the cheese and you put a little bit of the cheese on, they didn't touch the burrito, they didn't touch the carrot, and they say, Mama, I want more cheese. What do we do then? Do we put more cheese on the plate or do we just say, no, you know, you've still got carrot, you've still got a burrito. If you're hungry, eat that. Like what's the best way to develop that positive relationship with food, with our children, but also make sure that they are, you know, having enough as well? Another really great question. In that situation, I would let them have more cheese because I've 
going to trust that if they're still hungry, then I want them to eat until they feel well. I want them to trust their appetite. And if that's what they're feeling like and I've served it on their plate, then I would offer more cheese in that situation and say that's okay um, and let them decide how much they're going to eat. Because remember, when we look at the division of responsibility, it is that they decide how much and what they eat off their plate, but we decide what goes on the plate. So if we've made a balanced meal, I don't know, it's the same goes if kind of we served chicken and they only wanted to eat the chicken and they didn't want anything else, but they were really enjoying the chicken and they wanted more, I would absolutely serve more so that they can learn to trust their appetite. And the food is still there for them to interact with. So, you know, they're still seeing it. It still counts as learning about food. Food's on their plate. It's there. There are other ways, I guess, you can encourage your child to eat the other food without kind of doing it in the sense that you have to eat those before you I'll give you more cheese like you could just model eating the carrot to your child I'm going to take a nice big bite of my carrot if you want some more cheese sure here's some more cheese so what you've done there is you've allowed them to trust their body you've trusted them but you've also given them a cue and done some lovely social modeling with you eating the carrot and that's really powerful in that sense because we're not kind of then creating pressure around what the child eats off the plate and we're still sticking within our you know boundaries around what's our job at mealtime and what's our child job at the mealtime as well mm-hmm. and taking that example we use the carrot is negotiating food with your kids a no-no as well like I'll give you more cheese if you eat this carrot is that considered I guess I mean that's something that our you know our parents and our grandparents absolutely hands down would have done. Like I got a lot of food negotiation. Eat your salad and you can have dessert. That kind of thing. Where I had a beautiful, healthy you know relationship with food growing up. My mum was very good, but I still had you know those experiences with you know family members and that sort of thing where there was a lot of negotiations with food. Is that now considered a big no no because we have that research to show that it can impact our relationship with food long term if we say to our kids, eat this first and you can have dessert, or eat this and you can have that little after or does it actually help to create an exposure where they're actually trying new foods? Again, it can depend a little bit on your child, but overall I would be recommending avoiding kind of bribe. It's kind of like bribing or kind of rewarding a little bit, isn't it? Like you're trying to negotiate a couple more bites of something else. We know the evidence has shown that encouraging a child to take a bite of something that they weren't really happy to put in their mouth to begin with it's not going to help them actually learn to like the food. So in actual fact, it probably has the opposite effect. And we know through studies that 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 is the case. So encourage them to have a couple of bites before they get down at the table or using that as a motivator to then be able to get the food that they want, which is more cheese, for example. It's not going to actually help them to like the food. And we have to remember we are teaching lifelong skills for healthy eating to our children. So in that sense, it's not ideal to be using it as a negotiation tactic. The other thing to consider as well is is that by doing that, you're almost placing more value on the carrot than you are the cheese. You're saying the carrot is better for you than the cheese is. And again, that can get a little bit tricky, especially if we apply that to something like dessert, where we might say you have to kind of finish your dinner or have five more mouthfuls before you can have your ice cream then that again is the same sort of scenario where we're actually kind of saying, well, the ice cream is more valuable because you have to work for it. And then this, you know, the cucumber, which we actually want them to learn to like, or the family meal is less appealing now. So again, it becomes like a tricky message to send to children. And within that as well, if we look at even some of the language that might come across there, you might have good and bad language. So, you know, 
the carrot or the family meal is good, the dessert is bad for you. So again, if we're attributing moral value to food, then that becomes really confusing to children as well. And we know that that kind of language can make fussy eating, uh, I guess, can impact fussy eating long-term as well. And, you know, I've actually had conversations with clients, and this is with an older client who was struggling a lot. He was a teenager, but struggling with food. You know, he'd eat chocolate. And I said, how do you feel after you eat chocolate? So I feel really bad. And that's exactly what it is. Like if we instill this good and bad moral language to food, children interpret that if I eat that, then I'm bad and I should feel bad after I eat that. So that's where we start to have those kind of, I guess, diet culture, feeding behaviours kind of filtering through to children. You end up with kind of unhealthy eating habits long-term, more fussy eating. I love that. Like it's just so, like because they're these things that parents really struggle with and sometimes you don't really stop to think about what could we be doing long-term. Like in the moment we're just trying to get our toddler to eat some tomato or something, but in 15 years' time how's that going to make an impact? So it really does stop to make us think but like feeding toddlers you almost need a phd in it like it's almost ridiculous to know what is right and what is wrong and no one teaches us this like i remember the midwife making a joke when we brought matilda home from the hospital and she's like all right see you later good luck you've got a baby no one gives you a degree but you'll figure it out you'll be fine and that's almost it right they send us home from hospital with our babies and it's like no one teaches us what to do which is why i love podcasting and having experts like you on because you can share some real practical, real-life strategies to help us long into the future with our children because there's not a lot of research around feeding kids. So I'm so happy we had you on. Yeah. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. And I think what you just said there about long-term versus short-term gain is really important point there because sometimes we get so fixated on the meal itself and how many mouthfuls they've eaten or how much they have or haven't eaten. It's really important to think long-term. Because that intake is so unpredictable with toddlers and we have to think long-term, long game, long game when it comes to feeding our children. Absolutely. 100%. And then the last question I have for you, Anna, is really, I know we talked initially in the beginning about kind of what is fussy eating, what is normal, what's abnormal, but what is the big difference between a fussy normal toddler? And for me, like when I think of fussy eating, I think that's normal. I think toddlers are fussy. They want to assert their independence. One day they'll love something, then they won't eat it for a month. Like to me, that's very normal and I understand that. But where's that line, even if it's a little bit blurry, between normal toddler and being fussy and asserting their independence versus food aversions? Or where's that line where we need to seek some professional intervention? What are some quote unquote red flags that you would be saying, all right, you need to go in and book with a pediatric diet? because you need a little bit of assistance, put it that way. Yeah, it's a really great question. And, you know, I've spoken with thousands of, worked with thousands of clients over my career. And it is a frustrating thing because I think a lot of times too, you know, parents are worried about their child's eating and they might go to a health professional and the health professional says, oh, they'll go out of it, they'll go out of it they'll grow out of it and the child never grows out of it. So it can kind of go both ways too. It's really important to kind of understand or even advocate for your child if you are concerned. Actually, I I do want a referral or I do want to go see a dietitian or just go make an appointment. So there are some things to look out for. And that being said, we do know from studies and from evidence that only 50% of children actually outgrow their fussy or picky eating anyway. So there are some things to look out for. Poor weight gain, growth concerns, or weight loss, or if you see that your child is kind of not put on any weight for a year or they're in the same size clothes, that that would be something that you'd want to kind of look into straight away. If you've got a child that is 
consistently being reported as fussy. Like if you're constantly saying to people, he's difficult to feed, I'm struggling, fussy, he's picky. If you keep saying that multiple times and you're telling people and you're telling your doctors and you've done that on a couple of occasions, then that would be a sign to be looking into getting some support and help as well. If you feel like your child has a decreased range of food, so are they eating less than 30 different foods? So if you kind of sat down and you worked out how many foods they actually ate for you and you listed them out, if it's less than 30, less than 20, then that's some time to actually get some support and help as well because it's really difficult for a child to meet their nutrition requirements when they're eating less than 20 different foods. The same would be apply as well if you notice your child's not eating whole food groups. So if they're missing out on eating any veggies at all, they're not eating any meat, they're not eating any fruit, then that would be kind of a red flag as well in terms of trying to get some support there with their eating. If they've got like an overall lack of interest across all meals, as you said with toddlers, you know, we kind of see that erraticness or a bit unpredictable. They might eat well at one meal and then not so well the next. But for a child that's particularly fussy or picky you know you might see that consistently they're struggling with every meal there's not one meal that they actually eat well at and then also to you know if you've got that delayed progression which I kind of spoke about earlier as being a red flag if you haven't been able to progress your child to table foods you know by 12 months of age then that would definitely be a time to kind of seek a little bit of help as well and then if meal times are stressful if it is stressing you out if you are struggling at meal times and everybody is stressed out, that's also time to kind of seek some help as well because you don't have to do it on your own. Meal times don't have to be stressful. And sometimes it is just some simple strategies. Sure, sometimes it is a little bit more work and investigations, but you know, it doesn't have to be stressful. And a lot of what I do initially is actually just first work on removing the stress at the meal times so that everybody can kind of function and actually start to enjoy meal times again. Yeah, and that's the thing. Sometimes they are very difficult to enjoy with toddlers, but we absolutely can do it in the right way, can't we? Yes, for sure. It is possible. It is possible. Absolutely. And messy. And messy, yeah, <laughs> very messy. All right, Anna, well, we, again, appreciate you so much for coming on the podcast. I'd love to ask you, besides your own wonderful Instagram, and if you're not following Anna on Instagram, you absolutely have to. It's Nourish Little Lives, isn't it? Your Instagram handle? Yes, Nourish Little Lives. Wonderful. So besides your obviously wonderful Instagram, where else would you recommend some resources, maybe some apps, maybe some different trainings that people can go just to access a few resources around toddler feeding or fussy eating or like what is normal, like we talked about, what age are we starting my baby on solids? What age should I be progressing to normal foods? What are your kind of favorite resources, whether they're government resources or potentially some paid ones for just feeding our children well, put it that way? Yeah, there's so much out there now as well. There are a couple of good government sites. Like I really like the Royal Children's Hospital. Sometimes they've got just some nice general kind of resources on there around, you know, toddlers, what to expect, you know, feeding toddlers. Actually, the Ellen Satter website has a few resources there and I think she has a few books that you can actually buy on the division of responsibility and also just you know generally toddler eating and it's kind of explained in that sense so that's also really good I've actually got a resource which is like a snack guide which I think is fantastic for actually helping parents with snacks and their toddlers because oftentimes that's where we end up tripping up where we have kind of toddlers grazing or wanting to snack all day and we're not sure how to put boundaries in place or we're not sure how to manage snacks with our toddlers and that's brilliant for kind of referring back to and also helping with preventing fussy eating by having some lovely routines and strategies around snack food as well. 
Amazing. And is that one on your website? That one's on the website. Yeah. So I'll make sure I link that one in the show notes for you as well. Well, again, thank you, Anna, so much for coming on. And we're going to bring you back for a part two of the podcast where we're going to answer all of our listener questions. And before we jumped on, I said to you, I put up a little sticker on Instagram and I just said, what do you want to ask? You know, parents, what do you want to ask Anna about fussy eating? She's coming on the podcast, sent me a couple of questions. And I think I had like over 80 and I was like, oh my goodness, like how do I even pick from here? But I think I cut it down to 11. If you're up for the challenge, we'd love to bring you back on a second potty just to help us answer some audience questions around fussy eating with our kids and with our toddlers if that's all right with you brilliant i would absolutely love to come back wonderful all right listeners well look out for that second podcast and make sure you go and show anna some love on her social media profiles as well thank you so much for joining us anna thanks leanne it was so great to chat to you thanks for having me